Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is the freight talent gap with my friend Will Jenkins. Will is founder and CEO of Journey, a freight brokerage-focused recruiting, consulting, and training company. Will also co-founded and helped build the freight brokerage Molo Solutions. So he knows a thing or two about recruiting and developing great talent in the freight brokerage space. So please take a listen to our conversation. How's it going, Will? Great. How are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. (laughs) Will, please introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today. Yeah. So my name is Will Jenkins. I'm the CEO and founder of Journey. We are a transportation and freight brokerage focused recruiting, consulting, and training organization. And I am in Bucktown, Chicago today. Very nice. Very nice. So what do you guys do over at Journey? One more time. I know you said it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we are a transportation and freight brokerage focused recruiting, consulting, and training organization. So most of the organizations we work with are freight brokerages, some asset-based, mostly non-asset-based, anywhere between 50 million and about 600 million annual revenue. And they're looking to add talent to their teams. We source different candidates for all types of roles from executive level roles through experienced roles in sales, carrier sales, operations, account management, things like that. So every role that a brokerage would go and try to recruit talent for. And we also have clients that we do consulting for. So think business process, sales training, structure, things of that nature. And we have a standalone B2C academy that allows people to take self-service, self-paced training. That's also a community for them to network with other professionals. Excellent, excellent. Before we hit record, we're talking. You're one of the one, you're one of the founders of Molo, one of the real great success stories of recent years in the freight brokerage space. So you aren't coming at this from an HR perspective. By the way, there's nothing wrong with HR, but you're coming from this. Like I sat in your seat. I know that it's sometimes very difficult to get the right people in the right seats doing the right thing. So you're coming at this from a perspective of, I know what works and I know what doesn't work because you probably did it once or twice before you figured it out. (laughs) Yeah, I've made, and we made quite a few mistakes along the way as you build the business and you learn how to find the right talent, things that you need to do to help equip them to be successful. And so I think one of the fun things for us now as we're building out journey is that I do take the approach of someone that has built, scaled, and successfully exited a billion-dollar freight brokerage, which I think gives a particular vantage point as we look at how do you structure a team, how do you go find the right people, what metrics are you putting in place to see them be successful. And also, I like the fact that I didn't come from a traditional recruiting background because it's forced me to learn a whole lot about a new area that is very similar to being inside of a business going to go find talent. But there are some unique differences and that part is engaging on my end because you have to learn a new skill set. Yep. And one more time, who's the sweet spot for you guys? Yeah. So most of the organizations that we work with are between 50 million and about 600 million in annual revenue. So 50 to 600 or so employees. Yep. And those are mostly freight brokerages? They are all freight brokerages. Some of them are asset-based brokers. Some are non-asset-based brokerages. We also work with freight tech and ancillary 
service providers in the freight environment. So not all of our organizations that we support are traditional brokerages. There's also freight tech in, in some of those organizations. Increasingly important is those freight tech companies. And I've had Kevin Hill from Brush Pass yeah. Research on the podcast. Everyone knows Kevin. Kevin was on recently. I think he said there's 27,000 freight brokers. And when you think of the big companies, and I'll throw you've worked at a few of them, we'll say Molo most recently, but Coyote, TQL, CH Robinson. We we know a lot of those names at the top of that 25,000. I'll say, I think Kevin said the top 1,200, 1,500 have 85%, 90% of the market. And they have tremendous resources, a lot of them. But this is a business that is always, it, the nature of it is we partner up. We partner with the tech partner. We partner with our carrier partners. And increasingly, the freight tech partners, whether it's a green screens or Project 44 or Four Kites, we're a highway. We're increasingly used to having partners to help us succeed. And maybe the biggest companies say, I don't need a partner for, for what you guys do. But if you're not in that top, I'll say thousand, you probably need a partner like Will. <laughs> yeah, most of the organizations that we support are what I would consider to be small to mid-sized. There are a couple of organizations Growth north cap. of seven. Sure, yeah, yeah. So there are a, a couple of organizations north of seven hundred and fifty million dollars in revenue. So they are rather sizable, and I think they have more complex and challenging issues to go ahead and attack. But a lot of the organizations from a talent or training or resource perspective have a hard time getting in front of the right type of people. They may not have the brand recognition or they might not know where to go find the right people to support the organization. So that's typically where we find ourselves to be most successful. Awesome. We'll come back to the freight talent gap in a sec, but tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Some career highlights before you started Molo and then Journey. Yeah. So I'm from Maywood, Illinois. It is the west side of Chicago, about 10 miles west of the loop. I grew up there. Most of my family's from Chicago. I went to Illinois Wesleyan University in Bloomington where I played football. There's actually a picture of myself and my parents and my brother on senior day back now. Crazy. This was November or October of 2011. So it's been a while since we played ball, but played four years of college football at Illinois Wesleyan, which was a lot of fun. I got into sales at a young age. I used to sell Cutco Kitchen Cutlery. It was my first sales job. And I credit a lot of what I learned there and some of the leaders that I had an opportunity to work with, with the things that I learned, understanding how to build a book of business, how to cold call. Is that door-to-door -door on that you sell cutlery? Yeah. So it's primarily cold calling. So I spent my first summer as I built up my book of business cold calling basically everybody that I went, everyone's parents that I went to high school with. And I asked them for an opportunity to come over and demonstrate Cutco Cutlery. But I share that story because it was fundamental in my That's growth. Care. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The friends that I have that have found that found success selling Cutco are incredible entrepreneurs today. They are incredible sales reps. They built really cool businesses. So I have a lot of respect for that organization and what they taught me. But that really got me going into wanting to be an entrepreneur and wanting to be in sales. I went to Wesleyan primarily because I wanted to play football. And then I wanted a school that had a strong educational background. So Wesleyan's a really strong school. And I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, my dad worked in a hospital as a paramedic and my mom worked in hospitals too. So I was like, oh, that'd be really cool to get into the medical field. And when I got into sales, I was like, man, I don't think I want to do that anymore. I think I prefer to build businesses and sell. And so 
that's what got my feet wet. And then I got into freight January of 2014 at Coyote, as you mentioned, really took to it. I love the opportunity to be able to use my competitive nature to build a book of business. Carrier sales was the first job I had there for about two years. And that was fun. So just a little bit of background on me. Yep. And I had Michael Caney on my podcast from Highway the other day, and he mentioned the, you know, if you were a football fan, we all talk about the coaching trees, right? Where did you come from? He talked about the freight tree. And I think a lot of people would, you know, say one of the early successful freight brokerages was American Backhaulers. And I know from Backhaulers, we have a whole bunch of companies, maybe the most notable being Coyote. But now Coyote was wildly successful, now part of UPS, but still growing like a weed. And I don't know what they're doing there in the downtimes. I suspect they're doing better than most, though. So many successful companies are now coming out of Coyote, including Molo. Yeah, there I learned so much during my time at Coyote, and I'm so appreciative for the opportunity to join and learn the ins and outs of what it's like to run a successful organization. I started there in 2014, so this is about eight years after they launched the business, and it was just so cool to see the success they had, the type of customers they were working with, and I made some incredible relationships that I still have to this day that taught me so much about how to execute freight on a high level and how to run a business successfully. So that place is incredible. I'm just, like I said, very appreciative for the opportunity to work there. So uh, talk a little bit about the founding of Molo. And and, and I think it's relevant. I think it's, I think it's a good reference point for talking about what we're going to get into when we talk about the freight talent cap, but talk about uh, when and why you started Molo. Yeah. So I left Coyote in January of 2017. I went to Transport America, an asset-based player out of Minnesota, and they hired me to be their director of business development for a brokerage they they purchased in Ravenswood, which was Optimal Freight. And I went there and I was like, man, this is really cool. It's an opportunity to sell assets. It's an opportunity to have a little bit of a diversified portfolio of options to sell to shippers. And I never really sold on the asset side. So I learned a ton. I was there for about four months. I actually took a backpacking trip to Europe and I was thinking, hey, what do you want to go do next? What makes sense? Is this the place where you want to build your career? And I actually reconnected with Andrew Silver, who hit me up and said, hey, I'm considering building a brokerage. He had recently left Coyote. He had a non-compete, wasn't going to be able to execute the business in the beginning. And we sat down and talked about what it could be like to start a company like Molo. Uh, We had Sushi. At Union Sushi, he told me a little bit about Matt Bogrich, who I knew through just friends, but we never met formally. And Matt and Andrew went to college together. Um, We started talking about, okay, what could differentiate us? What would we want to focus on? Where are we going to put the business, right? Like, where's the office going to be? All these different things. And I was like, man, I'll leave Transport America tomorrow. We can do this thing. So I did. I went to Transport America. I, I resigned and then started working on Molo with Andrew and Matt at this would have been end of April, early May, 2017. And we also had Stefan Mathis join the team. He was another rep that we worked with at Coyote. So me and Andrew worked together at Coyote. He was a manager of mine when I was on the shipper facing sales side. I managed a group of eight reps and he was the director of business development over Chicago. Stefan was a very high powered carrier sales rep, just incredible. Funny story about him. He actually tried to get me to be his carrier operations rep three weeks after I joined. And I was, it was really funny. That was 
what began our relationship. He and I have been through a lot, learned a ton about the business coming up from our time at Coyote. And so we launched the business. This would have been July of 2017. Myself, Matt Bogrich, who was the president, and Stefan, and then Andrew had a non-compete. So he had to wait on the sidelines until that was that was over in like March or April of 2018. But that was how I got started, man. To be honest with you, I remember telling my mom and pops that I was going to leave this large, stable organization like a Transport America to go build a startup. And they're like, you're crazy. And I'm like, I don't know. Last time you told me that, it, I was selling Cutco and it worked out fine. So it ended up working out great. Yeah, I guess it did. I guess it did. Molo was wildly successful and you guys did sell it to I think, ArcBest, right? And this is such a complex question to ask and expect a short answer. But what would some of the things that made Molo so successful? A couple of things. I think understanding how to execute for customers is the most important thing in freight brokerage. You can talk about talent. That's important as well. You can talk about tech, a little bit less important. You can talk about high level buzzwords and all these things that people say that try to differentiate their offering. At the end of the day, if you don't pick up the loads and deliver them, communicate well with your shippers, you're never going to be able to build and scale your business. This business is incredibly simple, but hard at scale to execute. So the first thing we focused on was actually doing what we told our shippers that we would do. If we quote shipments, we're going to move them. We're not going to come back and ask you for more money. We're not going to change the terms of what we set up. We're going to service those shipments. And if something goes wrong, we will communicate with you proactively. Sounds simple at scale, really hard to manage. And I think people underestimated how important that was the first three years of the business. And then when COVID happened and the market flipped and it was incredibly tough to service freight, customers knew they could come to us because we were going to be the only provider that they could count on to service the freight at the rates that we quoted. And obviously we wanted to build relationships with them and get more business long-term and What's crazy is they they came to us when the rest of the providers were turning back business saying, oh my gosh, I can't cover this. And we were able to service that freight at or above market rates based on the relationships that we had because we had our customers' backs in the beginning. So I think that was by far and away the most important piece. Next to that is probably talent. We went out and got absolute just rock star talent from the best organizations that are in the space, people that we worked with, people that we knew through recommendations. and. I think it's important to allow those people to go and do their jobs, grow and scale the business. You've got to go get people that are better than you at different things because you've got domain expertise on a particular thing. Um, but those two things I think are incredibly important in, in a lot of what helped us grow. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of organizations end up with what I'll call minus one recruiting, which is I'm a little afraid of my own position here, so I am not going to hire that guy. Why? Because he's too good. He, he's going to he's gonna outshine me. He's going to take over my job. I don't want to compete with that dude. I'm going to hire this other guy who's okay. He's good. And he's never going to beat me. And large organizations sometimes suffer from minus one hiring. But you, what you just said is you got to hire people who are better than you. And that takes confidence in the people who are doing it. So you will, as you said, I'm going to hire this rock star and I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to learn and grow with that rock star. And if they're better at me than something, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep trying to get better and I'm not going to be jealous. I'm not going to be selfish about this. I'm going to do what's right for the organization. It's hard. 
it's hard as you grow to keep that mentality of let's do plus one. I want the next guy coming in to to shine, not be subservient to me, not be loyal to me at all costs. I want him to be a, a rock star, as you said. I think a lot of times what you just mentioned comes down to ego. Yes. You need to be, <laughs> you need to be the type of leader that is okay with letting other people shine and is okay with allowing them to get their hands around some of the things that you're working on and go take it to the next level. That's why they're there. Uh, you want to be in a room full of people that challenge you to think differently and approach problems in a different manner because it's how you typically get to a better, more productive end result or answer on how to solve a problem. And so we went out and got really talented people that are now absolutely crushing what they do and have the opportunity to continue growing the organization. So I think that's super important. Like you, you really do want the best of the best at each position. Yep. Yep. And you, you really, you have to have the right mindset and you have to, as you've said, let your ego fade to the background and say, I don't care. I'm bringing Will on. And if he's better than me, maybe he'll help me get better. Right? I'm not afraid. Anyway, so you exited Molo. Good for you. <laughs> And you started Journey. What hole did you see in the market when you said, oh, I want to start this company. I'm going to go help these other companies. What hole did you see or opportunity? Absolutely. So I left Molo. It was May 12th of 2023. And when I left, I knew what I wanted to start. I knew that Journey was an option of a business that I was considering from a recruiting perspective. And for me, it was first and, and foremost, really important to be able to exit Molo and feel good about what we've done and, and maintain relationships with the people that we built that business with. I've got great relationships with the exact team at ArcBest. And it was really cool to be able to walk away from that and, and feel good about, hey, we sold the business, doing well. Uh, maybe it's time to go figure out something else to go build. And so when I look at the recruiting space, sp specifically in our industry, I think that there's an opportunity to present talent to organizations from the perspective of someone that's been in the seat and had the opportunity to build, scale, and exit an organization that was very successful. When I look at the challenges that most brokerages have, a lot of them, I think, can be attributed to talent and developing that talent. I would say confidently that you could have the best tech or maybe the best services to provide to a shipper. But if your people don't understand how to execute their jobs or they're not well-versed in what you're doing, it's going to be really hard to be able to execute for those customers. And so it just seemed like a natural transition. Also something that I would be able to leverage some relationships that I have. A lot of the people that I've spent the last 10 years coming up in the industry with are now CEOs, owners, executive level leaders at different organizations. So that part's been fun because I get the opportunity to help them grow and, and succeed. So it figured like it seemed like a natural transition from being in the freight broker seat. Yeah. And absolutely. You have all the credibility in the world when you go see an owner of a freight brokerage and say, and they say, well, tell me what you know about this. Is that uh, I can tell you, because I've been part of a winning team. I, we've done some great things. Oh, it's funny. I had a conversation two days ago with an owner of an asset-based brokerage. So they're a trucking company first. They have a brokerage as well that's very successful. And we're going back and forth about talent and how to find the right people. And 
They stop me in the middle, probably 20 minutes in, and they go, I've never had a recruiter tell me that. And I'm pretty sure it's because you come from the brokerage arena. And I was like, to be honest with you, that's just how I look at building and scaling teams. I want to present talent that if I were in your seat, I would hire. And I think that creates a different barrier to entry. There's no value for me to present talent or people that aren't going to add value to what you all are doing. Um, I have to have a higher higher bar. And so that was really cool to hear because I'm like, man, people seem to be resonating with the value prop of, of what we're working through here. I love it. I love it. So today's topic is called the freight talent gap. You see, you see there's uh, right now we're talking, it's January 11th. The market's been slow. Freight brokerage is real slow. There's lots of people on the street. And so someone could say there's all sorts of good talent out there. And I'm sure there is, but there's still a talent gap. And it's, there's a big difference between raw ability or good grades out of college or nice LinkedIn, whatever. There's, there's the difference. Cause I'm, and I'm sure you understand these nuances better than I ever will because of the rocket ship you were part of at Molo. So when you say freight talent gap, what are you what are you looking at? What are you saying? Where's that gap at? And what are you looking for f- as you build the team? Yeah, I think it comes down to understanding organizationally what the structure is, what type of people are going to to succeed based on how the company is set up, what that candidate looks like, the expectations an organization has for them in terms of performance. And these are the kind of things that we get really detailed about understanding to know what a good fit looks like. And I'll give an example, working on a VP of sales role right now for an organization, and we're going back and forth on criteria and characteristics of what someone who they want to fill this role with looks like from, gosh, experience, maybe organizations they came from, skill set. And so being from the inside of a a multi-billion dollar company that was once a zero dollar company, the vantage point is significantly different from a talent assessment perspective. It is not overly difficult for us to sit down and scope out a role and have really good conversations about this is the type of candidate that would succeed in your organization for these reasons. This is what you gave us. This is what the marketplace looks like from a talent assessment perspective. Here are the types of people we want to put in front of you. And what I'm noticing is that a lot of times there's just a disconnect between what type of person can succeed in your organization and a successful person. Those are two different things. I can present and we can present tons of successful candidates, but that doesn't mean that they will succeed inside your organization. So if we don't have a good feel for how you all do business, what does a salesperson do in your position or in your company? Man, that might be different than how we did it at Molo. And that's not wrong. That just means it's different. So we have to understand that to be able to assess the type of people. And what I've noticed is a lot of times, for an owner or CEO, maybe someone in HR going to go find that talent, uh, there's a disconnect between expectations for the role and the type of talent they go and find. And then that's when it makes it hard for that person to succeed because they're not aligned with what the organization actually wants them to do. Yeah. And I'll throw this out there to you also. So there's somebody says, hey, we need a VP of sales. And you say, okay, and um, this doesn't apply to your most recent customer. I'm sure they're great. Um Sometimes if somebody says, I need a VP of sales, but maybe the organization isn't set up in a way that VP of sales can be successful. And my master's degree is in education geared towards consulting and training. And one of the things I remember 
I was in my 30s when I was giving that training. I remember somebody saying, sometimes the compensation isn't set up right. So I'm not, there's not the right incentive for my people. I know you understand how that has to work. Sometimes the management in that organization isn't quite right. The leadership isn't quite right. And so that's going to hurt this person. And maybe they're not being given the resources or the tech or the, the ability to be successful. And so you can bring them a rock star and go, here you are. This is, I got the home run hitter here, but they aren't going to be able to hit home runs there. How do you deal with some of that? I think the most important thing is expectations for the particular role. So one of the things you mentioned is a VP of sales may not necessarily be successful at this organization because of how certain things are set up. So we've had conversations with organizations that are looking for a role. And after we've scoped out that role, we realized that they're actually looking for a different position. So we have an organization that wanted a VP of sales. They don't have any sales reps. So that person would be a VP of nothing. There's no department. <laughs> and so the type of person that they would go get from a talent perspective is going to outpace what the organization needs today. That doesn't mean that they couldn't use a VP of sales 12 to 18 months from now. It means if you go get that person today and you're probably going to pay them a hefty salary to go and perform, if you thought they were going to go hunt and sell to customers and roll their sleeves up and we source the wrong type of candidate for what the organization really needs, all of us fail. So being able to say, okay, what does this really look like? How do you plan to pay this person? What expectations do you have? Do you want them to sell? Do you want them just to coach? Do you want them developing talent? Are they supposed to write training? Those are all different things that fit into the role, but they're different kinds of candidates. So if we don't have a good feel on what that looks like, doesn't matter who we could go get the best of the best, they're going to fail. So you have to make sure you understand the environment you're putting that that rock star in to make sure that they can succeed. So we talked a little bit about recruiting. Talk about training and onboarding. Yeah. Similar concept there from an expectations perspective. So we have conversations with organizations early on and we just talk about what does it look like for someone in a customer facing sales role to walk into your organization and perform their position? Is there a formalized training? Do they get systems onboarding? Do you walk them through any sales process? What's your value proposition? What type of customers are they supposed to be selling to? And what's interesting to me is the answer typically is we put them through some systems training and then we sit them with the sales team and we say, best of luck, go do your thing. And so on the job training, <laughs> correct. And it's not very replicable. There's no quality control in terms of what they're getting. So it's not easy to tell why one person didn't succeed and someone else did. And so when we think about training and onboarding, a lot of what we're trying to do is help companies understand the importance of scalable processes because you can better measure why someone did or did not succeed. So day one or really before day one, new hire, here are your expectations. You're going to be in a sales role. Fantastic. Here's what we're expecting you to produce, whether that be low account, margin, new customer acquisition, new call, whatever that stuff might be, whatever metrics it is that you deem to be appropriate for your organization. People should know that up front and they should know that in the interview process so they're comfortable with what you want them to go do. Once you do that, 
there should be some sort of an onboarding process that allows that person to become acclimated with your organization and acclimated with how you all go to market. How we sell at one organization, Coyote, for example, might not work at a smaller sub $100 million brokerage that has a different subset of services, a different execution model, whatever that might be. And so you pull somebody from a larger organization like that, you put them into the smaller shop and they don't get any training on how to go perform their job. I could get you the best of the best, man. They could have every accolade in the world and you're going to think they're terrible. So a lot of it is setting the stage for how do you expect people to perform their job? And then how are you going to commit to giving them the right tools to succeed? Yep. And I know turnover is always a problem. It's probably less so right now in a down market, but the best people constantly are turning. And I know we call it onboarding, but I think we could also call it orientation. I've seen research on it in the past. A lot of people don't get the right onboarding, don't get the right orientation. They don't understand what's expected of them. They don't understand all the things they need to do to be successful. And they know they're going to quit or they're going to get fired. And I think one of the things I know we've done for a long time in this space, I get, I've never talked to you about this yet, but I suspect I already know the answer. We used to hire 10 guys right out of school, go-getters, and make phone calls, guys. Do it. Go. Make phone calls. Be successful. And seven, eight, either quit or get fired. And then those two are, are they, they, by whatever, because they're good or lucky or whatever, they stay and you go get another crop. That was traditionally what we did. But I know I had one of my daughters when she got out of school, some, she had worked a little bit in logistics. So freight brokers were reaching out. She goes, I got a finance degree. I'm not going to go make a hundred phone calls a day. And I was thinking when I was her age, I did whatever the hell I was told. (laughs) This is a different generation and good for them. I'm not being a okay boomer here. Uh, It's not appropriate to say, I'm going to hire 10 people and just see who works out. I have to do better than that. That's what we've traditionally done. Not the best companies, but a lot of companies. So I think every organization has a different approach to how they go and source talent and whether they do it in a cohort style where they bring in 10 or 15 people and see how they perform and and what that looks like from a a scalability perspective. But I do think there needs to be a more thoughtful and targeted approach to finding that talent and then putting them in a position to succeed. It's not cheap to go hire 10 to 15 people and then to put the resources in place to, even if you don't do a whole heck of a lot of training. There's still costs associated with onboarding those people and whatever, however long they happen to be there, there's a cost associated to that. So I think more tactical, thoughtful onboarding so that you can drive up retention and ideally have someone that's just a better fit for the organization from the beginning is a, a significantly better strategy. Yeah. I remember uh, when I still worked in automotive running across, I, I did some work with mostly the big three here at the Ford Chrysler General Motors. And as the transplants came in, the Japanese transplants and the Korean transplants, the Germans, one of the things I learned about the Japanese is they said they'll spend for a line worker, a guy who's going to be working on the assembly line, a fortune, a lot of money training. First off, recruiting, then training. Like enormous amount that the big three would look at. That's crazy. Why would you spend that kind of money? But that guy's the right guy, right gal, 
and they know exactly what's expected because they've been completely trained and they go to work and they have the most efficient factories in the world. And I always think that that investment is worth it. But you're only going to make that investment if you got good guys. If I don't spend the time and effort to get the right guy and understand what I need from that guy, then I, then it, then an investment in development seems foolhardy. Yeah, you, you do want to make sure that you're identifying the right people that will succeed in your organization so that you're not investing time and ramping them up and they're not going to be the type of person that can do well. But in my opinion, it's important to, at times, slow down to speed up. If you want to see that person be successful at month six, probably means that you need to spend time month one, day zero through 30, right. setting them up to understand what it looks like to do their job. Does that cost money? 100%, right? You're paying for them. They've got a salary, benefits, office space, tech, all that stuff, and they're not producing anything for the business. But if we're being super honest, if you just put them on the phone the first week, they're not going to produce anything yes. anyway. So it's more advantageous to slow down a bit for them to accelerate later. And it's easier for you to measure whether or not they were successful versus saying, hey, we hired Joe, we hired Will, we put him in the seat, we gave him a computer, sat him next to Johnny. Johnny's a good sales rep. Let's see how they do. Typically doesn't work. Yep. And this is the stuff that you've learned firsthand. So when you're saying it to somebody, it means something. It's not just, oh, I read it in a book or oh, my buddy told me. No, you're like, I, trust me, I got, the, I got the scars from this. man. <laughs> totally. I've done all of the above, brought reps on, not trained them, brought reps on, spent a lot of time doing things and not just in sales capacities, right? We're talking operations roles, track and trace, account management, customer facing sales, carrier facing sales, all these different things. They all need to be taught how the job is done properly and investing time on that in the beginning, best way for them to really stay with the organization and for them to succeed. And the other thing I want to touch on is personally, I don't really care if you happen to leave the organization to go someplace that's a better fit for you. And that ends up being long-term, like successful for you in your career. My job is to give you every tool to succeed. And if you make the decision that someplace else is better, like Fantastic. I hope we gave you everything that you needed to do well, but I'd rather have that person and equip them for success than not spend the money and say, oh my gosh, maybe they leave. So we don't want to invest in it really short sighted way to yes. go about setting your people up for success. I got to tell you, this is a way, way back in the day, there was a company called Cooper's Library they got bought, I think by Pricewaterhouse, but my friend worked at Cooper's Library. big six accounting firm. They did some consulting, auditing, all that stuff, lawyers. And every year around Christmas time, they would have uh, a big party. It was the biggest party of their year. And it was all the alumni were invited back. And, and the company was, was very open about it. They said, we will be known by our alumni. We want you to come here and stay here and be successful. But if you don't, we want you to go out in the world and do great things and call and then call us. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I think that's a great philosophy. And they said, we got tons of business from those guys. And they go, those guys, those lawyers, accountants, consultants all went out and were running wonderful organizations. And then they said, who's the best? Cooper's library. That's how you want to, that's how you want to live in this world.
You talked about business structure. Get back to that for a second, because we talked a, bit, a minute before we hit record. What do you mean by business structure? Why is that? Why is that part of the talent gap? I think business structure is important because people need to understand what each department is responsible for, what goals they have, what their role is responsible for, what expectations you have. And it's common that there's somewhat of a mixed bag of expectations per team, or it's not really clear what type of services you provide really well or the type of companies that you service. So who's the best fit for what you do from a transportation perspective? You might have an organization that's really good at refrigerated food and beverage. Fantastic. You want to build your team around being able to service and execute for those customers. But if you don't teach your people that this is the specific subset of customer we service, they might sell to a different style of company and think they're not good at what they do because they're not converting. They might be the best salesperson ever, but they're selling to the wrong kind of person. So the structure piece is important so that each department and each individual inside that inside of that department understands foundationally, what are you expecting of me? What are your expectations of this department? And that translates to the direction of the organization. Like, where are we going? What do we want to see this business do? Yep. And one of the last things I want to talk to you about in you had sent me a note about some things we want to talk about. You wanted to talk about leadership as in relation to this. And before you get onto leadership, I want to throw this out there is when we say talent gap here, it, it implies there's not enough good people out there. But I think there's plenty of good people out there. But are we creating the type of organization that will allow them to be successful? Am I training them and doing the onboarding? Am I have I created a structure within my company? And a focus within the industry, what we want to sell. And am I good enough leader to let the guys I bring on and the gals I bring on to be successful? Because to some extent, when I follow the leader, my expectation is the leader is following me to the promise. I'm going to follow him to the promised land. We're going to win because I follow him or I follow her. Yeah, I think it's important to have really strong leaders. And if you're leading an organization at the ownership or executive level, you need to be the type of person that allows people to go and succeed. And by that, you set them up to go do their jobs. You also are supportive. You are the kind of person that allows them to have the space to make mistakes. Not saying that someone needs to have an infinite runway and can continue to make mistakes, but if they don't feel as if they're supported to go try new things, they're going to be in a box and never be able to be as creative as you would want them to be. And so the results will be poor. I think it's also important to be the kind of person that is extremely vocal about where you want to see the business go. So you're transparent, you're clear with what you want to see your people doing. And when you do that, you get significantly more buy-in because it's really easy for people to have conversations in the background when they don't get information. Doesn't mean the things are bad. Doesn't mean that they're doing bad or that the organization is going in a direction that's poor. But if you don't communicate, people make their own assessments based on what they see. And so that's hard to manage at a leadership level if you don't communicate well enough. I think the other thing is really being the kind of person that is very supportive from a communication perspective. People are going to listen to what you say, and they're going to dictate their responses based on how they hear you say things to people work through different challenging situations. I come from a sports background. People in a locker room respond to something. And if you've got the right kind of leader that talks in an encouraging manner and is supportive, it's a whole lot easier to rally people. If you're the type of leader that is maybe fiery or overly fiery, maybe you are 
demeaning and you don't support your people, it was really hard to get them to want to rally and work with you. So that part to me is really important. What are you doing? How are you saying it? What things are you communicating to your people? Because they're going to take that stuff to heart. Yep. I always think we talked for a minute about football before we hit record. I'm a huge Michigan Wolverine. So we had a great season and I said, I'm a good fan. I, I, I learn and I'm inspired by these young people playing these sports. And one thing I always think about when you look at football, there's a few, there's a few books that were written, short books by football coaches or they're about football coaches. One was about Nick Saban, one about Nick um, Saban, one about Jim Harbaugh, one about Urban Meyer that I wrote, read. And what I think is great about each one of those books is they talk about, we got to recruit the very best kids for our program. Then we have to give them everything they need to be successful. We have to grow them as a person. We have to grow them as an athlete. And that's how we do well. And there's a big investment. You played football. There's a huge investment that your university made, paying for your school and feeding. I can't imagine what it takes to feed a football team. <laughs> and But when you're playing football, you're playing basketball, whatever you're playing, the, the expectations are always known. Coaches always let you know what, you're, what the expectations are. And you train and you practice. And when it's time to play, you know exactly what you're supposed to do. I don't think we always have that in the workforce. I think a lot of times people are like, when you started playing football, they didn't say, hey, we'll just watch what these guys are doing and do the same thing. No, they said, well, you have this position and this is what's expected this position. And I'm going to give you step by step. And we're going to practice that until you can't stand it anymore. Totally. I think taking some of the things that apply well at a high level in athletics is certainly applicable in business. Like you mentioned, having a strong leader that goes and equips their team to be successful. Same thing in business, right? Outlining what you want to see people go do. Same thing. You can take a lot of those strategies and, and apply them at an extremely high level in business. Yes. So I know we could talk for a long time on all this. Yeah. Um, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up. I'm going to summarize the best I can. And then I want to get your final thoughts on it, put a big bow on it. So uh, we're talking about the freight talent gap. And it's not just that the talent uh, isn't available. I think we're not using the talent the right way. So we're the goal is to recruit and train and retain the very best people. Easier said than done. And so we talked a little bit about the, the importance of training and onboarding, how you can help your customers not only recruit the very best people, but then do some training so they understand what the, what to do and how to do it. We talked about the onboarding. We talked about the business structure, which is super important. And again, I think if you're coming at this from a purely recruiting perspective, you could put people in harm's way. You put them in a position where the business structure doesn't enable them to be successful. And then I think all of this is soaking in a big pool of leadership. If you don't get the leadership piece right, uh, your team's not going to be successful. And, you get, and and again, I think a lot of times we think, oh, the talent, my talent, my people, they aren't successful. Maybe it's you. Maybe you need to lead a little differently. And that, that, there's a lot of different leadership styles, so there's no one right way. Anyway, enough of my blather. Put a big bow on this one, Will Jenkins. Yeah, I think you did a really good job summarizing what matters here from a talent perspective. It is extremely important to go out and find the best people for each role, for each department. You want to go out and get the best of the best and really be one of the people in the room and look around and go, oh my gosh, 
everybody in here is more capable than me. It's the best room to be in, right? You want to be a room full of people that are smarter and more capable than you are. The other thing is you do need to have an organization that sets them up for success. So what are you doing from a support perspective? Are you available as a leader? Do you Are, are you approachable? Are you the kind of person that can come and ask questions to? And then just holistically in leadership in general, are you the kind of person that allows people to take an opportunity and go and run with it? That's where you get the best work. People need to have a feeling that they own a piece of what you're doing. And, and when they do that and they say, oh my gosh, this is my department or this is my team or I'm responsible for this account, whatever layer or level they're in, they're going to produce more work because or better work because they're bought in. Um, I just think that's incredibly important. And as a leader, business owner, executive, whatever it might be, if you're not enabling your people to approach their work in that manner, you're probably not getting the best out of them. And unfortunately, they may look for something outside of your organization if they don't feel supported, if they don't feel like they can grow, if they don't feel like they have the right tools to go and succeed. I love it. I love it. So I'll make sure I put a link to your LinkedIn profile, link to your website, and any other links you and Aaron give to me, I will put in the show notes. One more time, who's your sweet spot and what problems do you solve for them? Yeah. So most of the organizations that we work with are freight brokerages or asset-based transportation companies or asset-based brokerages that are anywhere between 50 million and about 700, $750 million in annual revenue. They're looking to add talent to their team. They may need another set of eyes from a consulting capacity to take a look at structure, sales training, things of that nature. Or they are an individual that wants to upskill themselves, learn how to sell more effectively, work on certain things to polish up their skill set. And they are able to access a training platform that we have for a community of, of sales professionals. I love it. And maybe they just want to meet with Will and have a little bit of that Molo magic sprinkled on them. So what conferences will we see you and the fine folks from Journey at? We will be at Manifest and we will also be at the Lean Mastermind event. Both of oh, those are down in Columbia. Yes. Wonderful. Lean's a wonderful company. And it's interesting you should be there because I think it speaks to some of you could listen to this and go, oh, Lean competes directly with what Will's doing. I don't think that's the case. So please explain. No, they don't. Yeah. So they do nearshoring, outsourcing for lots of different roles. I've had a relationship with them for quite some time. Know the team and the ownership They're group, awesome. the executive level leaders for a very long time. Uh, completely different businesses. They staff talent. We do contingent placement. So I'm, we're going to place talent and then the organization is responsible for onboarding, hiring, all that stuff. They are staffing incredibly. They've done an incredible job staffing successful reps that they go and find and they onboard them. They set them up in an office in Columbia or one of the other spaces that they have. And then the organizations that end up working with that particular rep, maybe in a, they, they have tech roles, sales roles, operations roles, things like that. They work exclusively with that particular client. They work on behalf of a whichever brokers they happen to work with. But the two organizations, the services that we provide are different really from a, a holistic staffing or recruiting perspective. Yep. I will definitely see you at Manifest. Oh, before I forget, Natalie, who's going to edit this podcast, works for Lean Solutions Group. We've been working with her for wow, years. Wow, look at that. That's amazing. Yeah. The, and Ra Roberto's been on the podcast and Ryan and many others. Great organization. And I will see you at Manifest. I just told you before we hit record, I was booking my room and I told you, do it. So all of you who are going to manifest, it is imperative 
book now, get that plane ticket, get that hotel. It is going to fill up. We got Super Bowl week there. So do it now. Anyway, Will, thank you so much. And congratulations on your success. I love what you guys did at Molo. And I love what you're doing over at Journey. And I know you're going to have a lot of success. Congrats. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you today. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.